This is the Bible Project Podcast. I'm John. And I'm Tim. And today we're doing our second story episode. Yeah, this is John working his journalistic muscles. (laughs) So this story is about a guy named Harvey. Grew up on the streets of Reno in the 90s as a hip-hop guy, got into drug dealing, and it's a story about him encountering Jesus. Mm. And a big theme to this story is how do you introduce someone to Jesus? Mm. And the word Mm. that Christians use is evangelism. Yeah. And I'm just curious, like, what what was your experience with evangelism early on growing up? I I grew up skateboarding in Portland, Mm -hmm. and... uh, I remember being approached by people passing out pamphlets or whatever when mm-hmm. we'd be skateboarding. Of course, we thought they were stupid. Um, but there was a... Why did you think they were stupid? Well, because they were Christians, and they were trying to tell us about Jesus. I don't, skateboarders are ruthless, man. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but, uh, but there was a, a church that uh, built an indoor skate park in its back lot, and they would open it up to skateboarders. It's called Skate Church. And so I started going to that park when I was in my teens. And all the guys who ran it were awesome skateboarders and cool people. And that was a form of evangelism. Mm -hmm. And those uh, relationships became instrumental in me deciding to follow Jesus years later. Both were evangelism, but Mm -hmm. totally different strategies. One was like initiate an awkward conversation with a stranger versus create an environment where all kinds of different people want to hang out and be together. Mm. And you just talk about life and including Jesus while you're skateboarding. And that was compelling to me. So I'm curious to hear this story. I haven't heard it yet. <laughs> I, want to, I want to know what Harvey Turner is all about. Yeah, so I flew out to Reno. You probably know of Reno of like the casinos and stuff. Yeah, that's basically all I know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. But there's a, right next to that is an area called Midtown, and that's where I met Harvey. So mm. tell me a little bit, since we're out here, tell me a little bit about this part of town and why you so guys planted here. Midtown. Harvey started we giving me a tour of Midtown. Because, it's right across the river from where the casinos are. Uh, well, when we moved here, there was literally nothing going on here. Uh, there was strip clubs and sex shops. And a lot of heroin. <laughs> Harvey so is a tall dude. He's 6'3", white guy, and, uh, grew up on the streets of, of Reno in the 90s. But this area has changed a lot since then. We walked over to a hip coffee shop that reminded me a lot of Portland. This is our favorite. It was started by two guys in our church. This wasn't here when Harvey grew up. So we went back outside with our French press coffee and Harvey gave me a tour of the streets. Uh, I used to run around these streets. I used to actually sell drugs in this area. <laughs> really? Is there a corner around here that you sold drugs? There, not a corner, but a, this area in general would be a, w- this was where a lot of the action was and this in downtown. So um, thank God I never got uh, busted with drugs. I definitely had enough on me a few times to, to I would have still been in prison. Let's back up. Harvey wasn't always slinging drugs on the street. In fact, his family would have been appalled if they knew what he was up to. My mom was Christian when I was a kid, and she would tell me about Jesus. My grandma, though, was diehard Christian, followed Jesus. Above my changing table, where, where I lived when I was like one, one and a half years old, there was a picture of Jesus. And she would always tell me about Jesus and sing about Jesus and point to the picture and say Jesus. So my first word was Jesus. Here's the thing. Harvey didn't have anything against Jesus. As we talked, he went out of his way to tell me that he kind of liked Jesus growing up. 
at least what he knew about him. Even from the time of being a little kid, I just remember always struggling with, like, what's the purpose of all of this? What is this all about? Just and intrigued by the concept of God, intrigued by Jesus in particular, because what I did, had heard about him, aside from just the miracles and things like that, was his mercy, his forgiveness. But what Harvey couldn't handle was church, specifically youth group. His family wanted him to go. They'd bribe him. And he thought, well, there's one good reason to try it out. Found out there was girls there. Girls. And the youth group was meeting in this this uh, small church uh, over in Sparks, Nevada, which is about 20 minutes from here. They cleared out all the chairs in the sanctuary. The first thing they wanted to do was play these games that made us look like totally like idiots, you know? After the games, there was some kind of Bible study time. And we all like sat on the floor and the youth pastor stood up and there was a lot of emphasis on morals. There was emphasis on, uh, you know, being good, just stuff that's in Christian culture being good. I just knew I couldn't do that. I knew that I liked to have fun. I knew I liked cussing and going after girls and, you know, I knew, I knew even at the time I was 10 years old, I'm like, I like Jesus, but I'm not into that. I can't be like that because I just know I just can't. Harvey knew that he wasn't good at being good. In fact, it looked boring and even tacky. What's the thing where you take the uh, potato sack and you jump in it? Ah, the old potato sack race. I was like, no, I'm not going to play. So you could picture the typical teenage boy wants to be cool, wants to get girls. But... For Harvey, there was a search for something even deeper than this. Even from an early age, he was looking for something bigger in life, something grand, something all-encompassing, something wonderful and thrilling, something majestic and divine. Because that was the thing, like, I didn't see any majesty in the church when I was younger. Um, And I didn't see any majesty in Christians. Harvey was on the hunt for the majestic. And at the same time, he was trying to figure out how to deal with a strange and powerful emotion that seemed to keep him from the majestic. It's that emotion we develop when we feel like we need to protect ourselves and fight for ourselves. That looming, all-encompassing, seemingly dangerous emotion, anger. Everybody has their wounds, you know, what they grow up with. And um, the home that I grew up in, there was some abuse and... Um, I I didn't know, understand it, what was going on with me. This anger that I was trying to process through, through different abuse that I faced as a kid. My first time smoking pot, I was, we were in, uh, we snuck out of the house and we met some friends at a park uh, that was near our house. And um, we smoked some pot and nothing really happened. Um, so I thought I'd try it again, and it was a similar situation. Uh, smoke, uh, you know, we snuck out of the house, and I just remember feeling, um, feeling joy, feeling peace, feeling like laughing. The anger for a moment was gone, and in its place was something that felt majestic. And that was the same for other drugs too, is that I, there was like a sense of kind of freedom from all of that stuff I was carrying, which turned into where, you know, I was smoking within a few months, probably I was smoking weed every day before school, lunchtime, after school, constantly. 
it became kind of a source, <clears throat> excuse me, source of identity for me too. Reno is a West Coast town, not far from San Francisco. And in this part of the world, in the 90s, there's a lot of West Coast rap coming out. It's changing the music scene. Was always very much into hip hop because most of the people that I hung out with, that's what we were listening to. And I was already rapping from the time I was younger, maybe 12, 10, 12. Like write songs? Well, I, I would just kind of rap for fun with my friends. You know, we three or four of us, and we'd go back and forth doing it. One day, their friends were at a party going back and forth, freestyle rapping. People started gathering around, <clears throat> and I just started going. And, and freestyle off the top of my head went for a couple of minutes probably. People started cheering, cheering and, and dancing. dancing. And I was kind of like, wow, this is great, you know? And then he would be asked to rap at more parties. I would just be at a party and then there would be a beat on and I would rap or there would be a band and they would be playing some song and they would have a beat I liked. I'd be like, play that. And I'd get on the mic and I would rap to whatever they were playing. Now remember, Harvey's a six foot three white guy and and he's a teenager, so he weighs like 160 pounds. <laughs> so maybe 170. So they called me Slim Dog. They would, as a joke, you know, and I, that kind of stuck. Some people said Smoke Dog because I smoked a lot of pot, but <laughs> yeah. So, so that before Slim Shady. Yes, it was, actually. So the, I got a lot of affirmations from that. And that <clears throat> one thing led to another where, you know, you start to get into that scene and you're buying these drugs, and you're like, this costs a lot of money. <laughs> and you realize at some point, I can make money off of this whole thing. <clears throat> and I've got a captive audience. I'm around these people all the time. So, 90s rap, Reno. Yeah, man. Harvey Turner. This is my first time hearing the story. Mm -hmm. uh, I haven't seen a picture of Harvey. Yeah. So what's coming to my mind is people from high school. Yeah. Yeah, and it's, and it's drugs and the search for transcendence. Mm. That summarizes can a whole layer of, of people in, in my high school growing up. I mean, I you know, the high school was a while ago for me, but there's a whole culture of people who have a religious instinct. Mm. Um, it's not connected to morality, but it is connected to meaning mm. and purpose. And drugs, uh, yeah, are this gateway into figuring out the meaning of life. I think for many people at that stage of life. Yeah. Just really. To experiment and experience mm -hmm. things in different ways. Yeah, and, and like in his case, it was a way of escaping pain, but it also seems like it's speaking to something deeper mm -hmm. about whether life has any purpose that transcends, yeah. you know, his own personal story or pain. I I grew up like the good... The youth group the, kid that he didn't want to hang out with? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> he would have beat me up. <laughs> I would have been in the potato sack race. Yeah, right. And I've been like, I won! And he'd be like, you're uh, a loser. But what I can relate to is the entrepreneurial spirit. Mm, it's mm. kind of, you know, like at the mm. very end there, he's... Yes. I'm, I'm, I'm using all these drugs... I could figure out a way to make some money here. <laughs> I find that really you make this viable. fascinating. Yeah. Yes. So that's what we're gonna we're gonna see next is Harvey in his entrepreneurial zone. How do you go from being a youth group flunky to selling drugs on the street? Well, 
it's kind of easy, actually. So it started with just going to a few parties, rapping, being involved in that scene, and getting tons of uh, affirmation in those things. The affirmation I wasn't getting at home or wasn't getting anywhere else in my life, you know, in school or sports or anything like that, I was getting there. And right around the time I was 17, I started like getting into actually selling drugs. Most of the people I hung out with were drug dealers. I'm embarrassed to say it now, but back then we called it the po our posse. <laughs> so I actually had a posse of guys I, I rolled around with and they almost everybody in the posse sold drugs. Harvey would sell mostly to kids at parties and, and at clubs. He wasn't getting rich, but he was making some money. I actually moved out of the house when I was 17 because I made enough money to live on my own. Now, if you're Harvey's mother or his former youth pastor and you see this happening, a teenager sliding into a life of drug dealing, it, it would make you incredibly sad. But using and selling drugs wasn't the real tragedy here. The real tragedy was that Harvey lost the desire to find something truly majestic in life. I had friends that I sold drugs to that were older, you know, in their 40s and 50s, and they were smoking weed. I'm like, that's what I'm going to be like, you know, one day. This is what I'm going to do for the rest of my life, uh, especially smoking weed. And the drugs helped medicate his anger, but didn't make it all go away, which was one reason why he loved hip-hop. There was something about hip-hop, the anger that is there, the the frustration with the system, the frustration with how this world is. For most of that African-American community that was making hip-hop, at least at that time, the, the, the word was like, I'm rejected, I'm an outsider here, I'm in this society that does not accept me. And then having this poetry to bring out some of that anger. Growing up in the family I did with the abuse that I faced as a kid, physical and otherwise, you know, I felt rejected. I felt like I'm not accepted here. Uh, that The music did is it helped give me some words. Turns out hip hop is a great way to release anger. On one hand, it's a release, but it also leads to a place of like, what else is there? There's despair here. Anger, despair, drugs. It's a special kind of cocktail. I remember one time we were in this parking lot. It was an area where all the teenagers would kind of gather. This guy drove up and said something to my friend who had a broken leg, yelled out of the car. And I remember we walked up to the car, pulled that guy out, and I, and I, and I just punched the guy, dropped him. And like watching his body just fall to the ground and then going, I just did that. Like for no, this guy just said something to my friend. I just punched another human being. It wasn't like there was a threat. And I remember even some of my friends who were supposedly like gangster types going, dude, that's messed up. Like, why'd you do that? It was just like pure anger and rage. Now remember, Harvey grew up searching for something meaningful in life. And while this part of him was sinking further and further away, it would come back in a really unexpected place. The rapper that I most identified with was Tupac. And the reason why is because in his music there was a, there's this anger, but then there's also this, he keeps bringing God back into it. And also just like seeing the beauty that is in life as well. So like it was this, it was this mix of emotions and thoughts that I was having too. Like I see the beauty in life, but then I'm also so angry, you know? and. I don't know what to do about it. His life continues on like this, selling drugs, hanging with his friends, 
He gets a girl pregnant and is now a teenage father, but continues to sell drugs and hang out with his friends and rap at parties. You can see where this is going. It's just a matter of time before this anger gets the best of him. One of the best West Coast rap groups was coming to Reno. It was a group called Loonies. They wrote this really popular song at that time. It's called I Got Five On It. <laughs> you probably heard the song. It's pretty popular. It was in a club. I was probably 19. Somehow I got into this club. I don't even remember how I got in because it was a 21 and over club. The first acts got on and um, it was going fine. And then um, somewhere in the midst of the concert, a, a gang from Reno started throwing gang signs up to the guys on stage. And then the guys on stage started throwing gang signs back. And that's basically, throwing gang signs is like a way of like threatening each other, you know? It's kind of like saying, this is my turf, you need to back off. And then one of the rappers on stage flashes his gun, the ultimate signal for back off. Somebody in the crowd somehow um, had, I have no idea how they did this, but they snuck in a sawed off shotgun and they started firing the, the gun into the ceiling. And then gunshots started ringing out throughout the club and it was like a mad dash to get out of the club. People were literally getting run over. Harvey gets out of the club, but in the parking lot, it's still crazy. There's gunshots, people are scrambling to get into their cars. Somehow we met up at my friend's car. He had, an, I remember it was a 95 Mustang. So that's how long ago this was. It was brand new back then. Got in the Mustang and he's swinging around the corner trying to get out of this parking lot and rams into the back of this other guy's car. And the guy looks up and starts cussing at him, yelling, reaches into the car, pulls out a gun, starts cocking the gun. Harvey's friend puts it in reverse, gets some space, and then drives off. I'm sitting in the back seat and, this, and in a Mustang, there's not much of a back seat. You're kind of just huddled up back there. And the guy just started firing shots in the back of the car. Bam! One bullet hit a tire, I think. Bam, bam! And then one hit on the keyhole of the trunk. A few inches to the right or left could have hit Harvey, but they got away unscathed. My friends were drunk and they were crazed, so they ran back to the house. They were so angry, they got their guns, got into another car, went back there to look for the guy that, that shot at us. They're fueled up, anger, adrenaline, the need for revenge, and a healthy dose of alcohol. They're going back to the scene of the crime, it's about to go down. But then... By God's grace, uh, the, the cops stopped us. They get them all out of the car, line them up, get their IDs out. And they're running all of our background and everything like that. And, and uh, while the cops were running the IDs, they had turned their backs, so I bolted. Another friend bolts with them, and they get away. But then it dawns on them, the police know who we are. There's no getting away. So his friend decides hey, I'm going to go back and turn myself in. But Harvey, he continues to run. I'm going, cutting through an intersection. If I can get through this intersection, I get into an area where it's, it's all dark and I'm, I'm, on the, I'm gone. I'm on the run. Just one last street to cross. He makes a break for it. Literally three cop cars pull up. They get out of the cars, pull guns on me, have me on my face at this intersection. And uh, they took me to jail that night. What's up? What you doing? Sitting up here marinating, just, you know, tripping off how this life is, man. 
life. I'd been to jail a few times, but I'd never had to stay the night. So I got released on my own recognizance because I didn't really have a record. But this time, I had enough of a record, been in enough time, they're like, no, you're staying. That night, Harvey has to stay in a cell. He's sharing it with a, a guy who's addicted to drugs. Probably, you know, um, a meth addict, and he's just a mess. And then, you know, we're standing in line getting our meals, and I'm in the line with actual gangsters. And I'm sitting there with these guys that are hardened criminals, and uh, it scared me. I guess there's something to almost getting shot, running from the police, sharing a meal with real gangsters. Could put things in perspective. And by this time, I also had uh, a son. So I got a girl pregnant. You know, my son was almost a year old by that point. And I'm like, man, I gotta figure my life out here. It's all bad. I mean, up to this point, his whole life has been embracing the fact that he's no good. He's no good at being good. But things gotta change. He's gotta figure this out. So there was this rapper, E-40, and he's a, not a Christian at all. In the song, he says, Our Father who art in heaven. Our Father who art in heaven, how would be thy name, thy kingdom come? That's the prayer that I pray, so spread the word. And when you're feeling down and out, read Proverbs. So I was like, okay, so I guess I'll read Proverbs. This was a last-ditch effort, a Hail Mary pass. Just maybe the Bible can show him how to be a good person. After all, what does he have to lose? Well, only few dead ago. I spit the game like a soldier. Tell I told you this. The rap keep it giant. Six years old, vocalist. So, read Proverbs. <laughs> yeah, I did not see that coming. <laughs> um, sorry, he, he's, this is his night in prison? This is a night in prison. He, so he finds some sort of Gideon's Bible or something? Well, no, he waits until he gets out. He gets, oh, out, okay, he gets out in a couple days. So that shocks the system. Yeah. And then... And he's like, I got to go read He's Proverbs. got a hankering for ancient Hebrew wisdom because <laughs> of E-40. <laughs> because E-40 told him to. Whoa. Um, and he's like, all right, that's I a place to start. <laughs> I don't know what else. Is, I just want to hear what happens next. Yeah, let's, let's just jump into what happens next. Harvey gets out of jail with a new mission. Go read Proverbs. My parents had given me a Bible at, at like the previous Easter or something and um, never touched it. It like sat in my closet in my apartment. Um, so I went and got it out. Uh, ironically, it was like on the top shelf of my closet with all my pornography. <laughs> Some Bible sitting there. And uh, got it out, started reading Proverbs, which led to me reading the Psalms, which then I was like, didn't see Jesus there. So I was like, okay, well, where's this? G where's Jesus at? Harvey started flipping through the Bible, looking for Jesus. And then I found, like, came upon it. I was like, oh, okay, Jesus, he did this. He starts to read stories about Jesus and is completely blown away. I was just like, this guy is incredible. And one of the things that I was really intrigued by is he, he was friendly and loved people like me. He, he reached out to people like me, people that were the criminals, the outcasts, the people that weren't accepted in society. See, that was so crazy to me because my whole experience of Christianity was... God loves those people that got all their crap together. People like me are not the people that he likes. When I saw Jesus, I was like, he actually likes sinners. He's reaching out to sinners. He's, he's, he's specifically choosing them to be his followers. And um, so I was fascinated. And I was fascinated just by him. Harvey wanted to learn as much as he could. So he started going to church. I went to the church where my parents went. 
uh, on Sundays. But then I, that was not enough. I was like, so I would hear about like these Pentecostal churches having Monday night revivals. And I'd go to that. I'd go to like every night of the week I didn't have my son, I would go to a church. And the nights that I would have my son, I would sit home and listen to sermons on the radio. At this point, Harvey didn't consider himself a Christian. And he definitely didn't fit into church culture. But he was fascinated and he wanted to learn more. So he would just show up. My hair was longer, but it was all down in braids, dickies. Think Snoop Dogg, 1992. That kind of, that was how I was dressed. And so in a lot of places I could tell I'm totally not accepted here. But I was just insistent. I got to learn about Jesus. And during this time, Harvey was still wrestling with his own demons. And I was still smoking pot some and... Um, I, st- I still messed around with a few girls and things like that. And But the difference was there was conviction about it. There was just like, this, isn't, this feels gross. You know, this doesn't feel right. Like, I don't want this anymore. The things that used to promise Harvey majesty began to feel empty. What I did see majesty in in all those years before, sex. And like this feeling of euphoria and this feeling of acceptance when I would stand up and rap, like, Those were majestic, holy moments in a sense, you know. When I found out that God is majestic and holy and pure and good and yet merciful and reaches out to people, like, that is the thing that got me, majesty. This went on for three months. And one night, Harvey's standing out on his front porch. He's praying. He's looking up into the vastness of the night sky. I looked up at the stars and I just, the the vast beauty of it and it just it's so big and just I was talking to God and a realization hit me. I'm in this. This is my life now. This is everything to me. This is all I care about. Harvey is in. And so he decides to commit to a local church and he starts going every week. I would be there early, stay there late, set up, tear down, uh, greeting at the door, trying to be as involved as I can. Um, and, but what I realized is that, uh, although I was enjoying being part of the church and really benefiting from some of those relationships, my friends wouldn't work here without a good bit of cleaning up first. You know, I, I invited them, but they would never really come. I think one or one of them came one time and it was, he was just, he felt awkward. I think he'd left early. He just couldn't do it. But what I would still go hang out with those friends, and while they were drinking or smoking or whatever, they would, um, I would talk to them about God. I would talk to them about Jesus. I would talk to them about whatever I was reading. Uh, they were always open to the conversation. And so Harvey takes a cue from the way he saw Jesus doing ministry. If they won't come to church, let's bring church to them. So what if we had a Bible study right here at the party house? There was one particular house. Everybody would gather, smoke, drink. This house was the center of their community. It's where life happened. But it doesn't seem like a great choice for a place to host a Bible study. And why in the world would any of them attend? But everyone agrees to it. It's so weird looking back on it that they agreed to do it. But there was like five of them and me and one other Christian. Some are drug dealers. Some are high all the time. That's the crew that they were. I'm trying to imagine the bulletin insert for this party house Bible study. I think it's going to be a hard sell. There might be a bong on the table while we're having Bible study and pornography in the bathroom. There were specific times where I remember going to the bathroom and that pornography was there and being really tempted by it. 
and I'm leading this Bible study in this house. Hello, this is George. Hey, George, it's John Collins. Hey, John. George lived in the house where all of this started. So I gave him a call to learn more about the early days of the Party House Bible study. Turns out George had just recently graduated high school, where he spent most of his time doing drugs and drinking alcohol. He said he barely graduated. I graduated. Uh, I turned 18 shortly after. And after a big fight with my parents, I was like, you know what, I'm moving out. And we were the first of our friends to have our own place. So how did you get involved in the Bible study? My roommate came up to me one time and said, hey, uh, Harvey and I want to do like a Bible study thing. Are, are you cool if we do it here in the apartment? And so I was like, yeah, by all means, use the apartment. And then his roommate says, great, why don't you come and join us? And I thought to myself, well, you know, I don't know. I'm kind of, kind of a busy man and I uh, got a lot of stuff going on. The reality is, is that they knew I was a pothead and they knew I wouldn't have anything going on. <laughs> I would just be sitting on the couch. George could have bailed on it, but he didn't. And so here I had some friends saying, hey, we want to walk with you and discover what the Bible has to say and read it for ourselves. That really intrigued me. Um, and I had always had a curiosity of what the Bible had to say. The first time they got together, they read from the Gospels and talked about Jesus. And then they all agreed, hey, let's do it again. And they invited more of their friends. But that second Bible study, Harvey had given me my very own Bible. It was a, one of those uh, NIV paperback study Bibles. And I just was, I, I don't know, I was captivated by the fact that, like, wow, I have my own Bible. George had heard about Jesus before, been told about the Bible, but it never stuck. There's something different about this. Like, the, the faith that I had learned about at catechism and going to Mass uh, was now felt like it was coming alive to me. And so this Bible study continued week after week, and many of Harvey's friends started following Jesus. The Party House Bible study went on for about two years. So it was only guys at that time for years. And there was a bunch of girls that wanted to come, and we were like, all right, well, let's start doing that. And we moved it to Friday night because somebody uh, in the church where I was going to said, hey, we can open up our house on Friday night. we got this big front room. We don't even have furniture in it yet. So they would line up a bunch of chairs that people could sit in. People would sit on the stairs. People were standing in the balcony. I remember one night we had 66 people in this living room. They needed a bigger space. So I went to the senior pastor of the church that I was going to. I told him what was going on. I was like, we can't fit any more people in this house. What should I do? I th think I accidentally started a church. So they brought the Friday night Bible study to the church, and it continued to grow. The church brought Harvey on staff and then eventually turned it into a church plant called Living Stones, which is right in Midtown Reno, where Harvey grew up. In fact, he often drives by the intersection he was arrested in. I live a half mile from there, so I drive by this all the time. It's a constant reminder of God's grace. As Harvey continued to do ministry, kept thinking about how he wanted church to be outward focused. He didn't have any patience for Christians who just wanted to hang out with other Christians and, and think about how good they're being or, or obsess about following certain rules and wondering whether God loved them. Navel-gazing is the word I have for it, but it's just the inward kind of evaluation going over everything, which when that happens to a church, that's where you, churches get super unhealthy because everything is nitpicking each other. And now my mission is to make sure you're keeping the rules. So 
why did you plant a church if you're kind of down on church? So I love the church. I love Christians. I'm not down on any of that. It might sound like I'm being negative on that. I'm not. I just think that a healthy disciple has rhythms built in to their life uh, of uh, worship community and mission. And if mission is not part of that, then I think it just becomes, it's just an unhealthy way to live. My wife has actually said to me, like if I'm feeling depressed or something like that, she'll go, how long has it been since you hung out with somebody that wasn't a Christian? And I'll go, it's been a while. <laughs> and I'll go hang out with somebody that's not a Christian. And it's weird. My joy comes back. When you're with people that don't have God's grace at all, you're, you're reminded of the grace that you have. You're reminded of the joy you have in, in the resurrection in Christ. But you're also reminded that they don't have that. Um, and that, and it, it forces you outward. And it's a lot easier to go and hang out with people who aren't Christians when your main focus isn't trying to get them to change their behavior. Which was kind of nice. It was, I felt accepted by him. I didn't feel like I was a project. Let's just, let's just put our focus on Jesus. It's kind of counterintuitive. As a Christian, it feels safe to hunker down with other Christians. It's easier to learn how to be a good person and follow Jesus that way. But for Harvey, he's turned that upside down. In order to uh, become a holy person, you need to stop focusing on being a holy person and be around some unholy people, and you'll actually become more holy. And this is, uh, you know, I I love how uh, Martin Luther put it, like, God doesn't need your good works, but your neighbor does. You know, like God's already taken care of it at the cross and at the resurrection. You're like, he's, the gospel is done. Like God doesn't need, you don't, he doesn't need anything from you. That's, he's completed it. Your justification is there with him in heaven. Uh, But your neighbor, he needs your good works. RV just recently wrote a book called Friend of Sinners, An Approach to Evangelism. The first chapter is is a bit of the story we just heard, and then the rest of it is his reflections on sharing Jesus with others. Yeah, it's interesting putting the label evangelism on that type of book. It's just life. It's yeah. just how you live as a follower of Jesus. You just will talk to people about him. Yeah. What else would you talk about? <laughs> yeah, and you'd be friends with them. Yeah, you'd be friends with them because that's just a part of being a normal human being is yeah. having friends who are different from you. I really resonate with just that simple focus on the person of Jesus. Like Jesus is a big boy, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And like he doesn't need us to, like he's just, he's so compelling. Mm-hmm. You just read the stories about him and and it's just, it's compelling. Mm. It reduces so much of church strategy. It's a great story. Yeah, I love his story. It's awesome. And uh, George, who I talked to, mm-hmm. he actually is uh, a pastor now. Mm. as well. No joke. And Harvey's in Reno living his life as a, an unlikely evangelist. In the drug party culture of Reno. Yeah. It's totally Jesus style. <laughs> yeah, just hanging out at parties. Yep. <laughs> it's like he read the Gospel of Luke. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah.